Amen. So, uh, Daniel chapter chapter four tonight, uh, man. So much is is going on. Just in so much has, has happened already in just three chapters. You know, but but Daniel chapter four, we're gonna see King Nebuchadnezzar. We're all familiar with him now, but we're gonna see King, Nebuch- King Nebuchadnezzar humbled. You know, and so in this chapter, we have the testimony of a king's great fall, and it's a testimony of Nebuchadnezzar himself. So we have the testimony of of, of a great king's great fall. Yeah, and we see that King Nebuchadnezzar had seen the hand of God reaching out to him by, by using Daniel, a godly man, in his testimony for years now. You know, ever since they, they brought him from captivity, you know, Daniel's always stood out from the crowd. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been just good testimonies of, of, of the God whom they serve. You know, and, and we see that, that, that God has used Daniel and these three guys to be a testimony to the king, to this pagan king. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has, has seen the hand of God through these men. But we see that time after time, you know, he had loosely declared, you know, blessed be the God of Daniel. You know, may all peoples worship the God of Daniel. And he, and he said it kind of surface, you know, as like you know, we've been going through it. It's like after something crazy happened, he were like, oh, man, God bless you know, I mean, the God of Daniel. God bless Daniel. Or, or, you know, everyone should worship the God of Daniel. But it was just kind of like a surface type of declaration, you know, because then later on he would go back to, to doing his own uh, pagan things, you know, and worshiping his thousands of God. His, his uh, history tells us. Uh, secular history actually, you know, tells us that that his favorite god to to worship was a, was a god by, by the by the name of uh, Marduk, and uh, another one uh, by Baal. There's been inscriptions that have been found in in, in Iraq, which is modern day uh, Babylon, and with a bunch of these little inscriptions by Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and his devotion to to all his uh, pagan gods. And so we see again that the gods really just been trying to get a hold of 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 not just you know the nation of Israel, not just you know uh, Judah as they're in captivity and trying to teach them something, trying to minister to them, but also the heart of this pagan king. And so we see we're going to see that that in this chapter, you know, we get the account of of, of Nebuchadnezzar's full surrender to God. You know, and, and as we read this, we're gonna, we're getting toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life. Um, and so actually, some twenty five to thirty years have. Have have passed since chapter two and and the, and the and the story of the burning fiery furnace. So there's a huge gap, you know, just from a flip a page. There's there's a there's a huge gap, 25 to 30 years. And so Daniel would have been around 50 years old at this at this point when this is going on. And so just keep that in mind. And with that, I'm just gonna go ahead and get into chapter four, verse one says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on, on in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Now this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And then I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions on my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of this dream. Then the the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. It says that in parentheses. And then it says, And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the, uh, the magicians, because I know th- that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So we'll stop right there. And so here we go again, you know, round two. Uh, we saw that a, a couple chapters ago, you know, some 30 years prior, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. You guys remember that the, the dream of the statue and that statue contained different types of metals, each metal and each body part representing a different uh, world governing empire that was going to that was going to succeed uh, uh, since, since, since Babylon. And 
So that was his first dream. And now here we go again around 2, 30 years later, he has another dream. You know, and we see really that, that it's God giving him these dreams. You know, so we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream in which God is trying to communicate something to him. He's trying to, to communicate a message to this pagan king. And so we see that, that uh, <laughs> the first time he had this dream, the first time he had this, this sort of experience, you know, this dream from God there in chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes a, makes a mistake of, of turning to worldly counsel in order to find the interpretation of his dream. Remember, and there in chapter 2, he had the dream. No one could interpret it. He went to the, the wisest, smartest, you know, guys who are supposed to be like the know-it-alls of, of Babylon, and they couldn't interpret it. And so you think that he learned from the last time, but he didn't. You know, so here, here he is. He has a second dream, which causes him to, to just awaken fear and terror. You know, he has this dream and, uh, and he can't sleep. It wakes him up. He's afraid. Really, the word is terrified. You know, and we're told that he calls, he calls in all the wise men of Babylon, all the magicians, astrologers, soothsayers, etc. to hear his dream. So it's kind of the same thing going, the same thing's happening again like, like it did in chapter 2. You know, he had this dream and he calls in all the wise guys. They couldn't interpret it, but now he calls them in again. You think he understands that these guys, you know, have no knowledge, no wisdom. They're just, you know, uh, they're fakes, they're phonies, you know. But yet, he still calls them in. I'm surprised they're still, they're still uh, employed. What's <laughs> up? Um, it says Chico the Magicians. Is that the title that they just, is that like the announcement that, that that was his title? Or is that like known before? Yeah, so, so, so Daniel is referred to as a chief of the magicians. So, be, so because Nebuchadnezzar had all these magicians, I mean, keep in mind that they, those are like his, his, his go-to guys. You know, those are like the guys that, 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 that he goes to for counsel, for this, that, whatever, when he has to make a decision. And so because Daniel was elevated to, to a position of authority because he could interpret those dreams, he made him like the captain of all these guys, you know, like the manager of all these guys. So this guy was like the, the so Daniel was made into like the, the, the chief of the magicians, I mean like the manager of all the magicians. That guy's like who everyone else goes to. You know, and so that's Daniel. He's the chief of the magicians. He's the, he's the chief of, of, all, of all the wise men there in Babylon. And so... Uh, him being the chief, finally, you know, Nebuchadnezzar goes to, to Daniel and, and he asks Daniel, you know, concerning this dream. And so we see that, that unlike the first incident, you know, this time Nebuchadnezzar actually explains the dream to them and then he asks their opinion. You remember in chapter 2 when he had this dream, he, he called in all these guys to, to interpret his dream and they asked him, well, what was the dream? And he said, no way, I'm not going to tell you guys because if I tell you, you're going to make something up, you're going to lie to me. So he didn't tell him the dream. He asked that they would tell him. That they would tell him his, his own dream and the interpretation of it. They couldn't do it. But Daniel could because God gave him the, the, the interpretation of it and the dream. But this time, we see that he calls him in and he calls in all, these, all the wise men, all these other guys. And he actually tells them what the dream was. You know, and then he asked them to interpret it. But yet they still couldn't. And so, uh, none of them could interpret the dream for him. You know, and I mean, I think my personal opinion is that I think they were afraid to say you know, what they really thought. I mean, because as we go through the dream and as we go through it, you, you kind of get the hint of, of, of what the dream is about. You know, without getting into too much detail, you, you could kind of get the gist of it. And, you could, and, and, and just by reading it without the interpretation, without Daniel's interpretation, we could see that the dream was something bad. You know, we could see that it was something bad concerning Nebuchadnezzar. So my opinion is that, is that these guys heard the dream and they were just too scared to tell them the truth. They tell them, you know what? I think this is bad news. I think this isn't good for you. You know, without them even knowing all the details, they could have said that, you know what, we can't interpret it, but, but it sounds like it's going to be really bad for you. Um, I think they were just afraid to say what they thought the dream meant because King Nebuchadnezzar was so unpredictable. You know, he was, he was a guy who, who would just you know, order three guys to be burned into a burning fire furnace for not bowing down to him. You know, he could kill anybody. You know, he could have, have anybody killed at a snap of a finger. He's power hungry. He's crazy. He's mad. He's like drunk with power. So I think they were just afraid to tell him what the what they thought the dream meant, you know. But finally, he calls in Daniel, 
which he should have called him in the first place. And now he's now Daniel's about to hear the dream. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar's dream starting in verse 10. It says, These were the visions of my head while I was on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. So, so here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's explaining his dream. And the dream starts off with a huge tree at the center of the earth. I mean, huge. He's saying that, that, that it grew and became, it became strong and its height reached to the heavens. Meaning like, I think it was enormous. You know, it was, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't natural. It wasn't a natural tree. I think it was, it was enormous. You know, it says, and it, it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. And verse 12 says, its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and, and all flesh was fed from it. And verse 13 says, I saw the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried out and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beast get out from under it and the birds from, under, from its branches. And verse 15 says, Nevertheless, leave the stump and, and roots in the earth, bound it with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the, of the earth. Let, let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision, this, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high God uh, rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets it over it and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, or Daniel, that, that, that's his, uh, his, his, his given name. Daniel, you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me its interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So again, here we go around to second dream. You know, it's very different from the first one, but yet it, we see that, 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 that it's still concerning Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, just like the first dream he had in chapter 2. And so Nebuchadnezzar's dream... We see that in his dream, there was a, a tree at the center of all the earth. We see that this tree was recognized for its great height, its strength, its beautiful leaves, its abundance of fruit, its ability to provide food for all, the shade, its, uh, and, and rest it provided for the beasts of the field and for the birds of the air. And so this is a great tree. Again, this is like something supernatural, something like out of the movies. I'm picturing something like... Uh, you know, you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, and 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 I believe the second one where the where there's a the tree guys. I forgot their names, but there's the tree guys that, that move and talk, and you know they're just these huge trees. I mean, I imagine that times like thirty. You know, just this huge tree. You know, with great branches, a bunch of leaves. It says that the that the leaves were lovely, and and this tree was was a cause of provision for all the animals of, of the of the earth. You know, so so all the animals of the earth would find shade under it. You know, they would find comfort in it. They would come rest under this tree. The birds would come to the to the leaves of this tree and find fruit. And so we're told there, you know, about this tree. And then we're told that a watcher says a watcher. You know, this watcher is actually an angel. And so we're told that that a watcher from heaven, so an angel from heaven, commanded that the tree be chopped down. Thoroughly, meaning no leaves or fruit or branches, just completely stripped down. You know, I don't know if you guys ever chopped down a tree, you know, but for the most part, we chop down the, the branches and then we, then we start chopping down the, the actual tree itself. 
you know, and, 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 and pieces and the branches, for the most part, we don't strip it of the leaves, right? We don't cut off all the little branches. We just, you know, we start chopping down branches as a whole. But in, in, in the command from this watcher, in the, in the command from this angel, he says, look, chop down the, the tree and chop down its branches and even take off all the leaves. Meaning strip it bare, you know, bring it to nothing, strip it bare uh, and, and the fruit that's on it, scatter all the fruit everywhere. You know, so we see that, that, this, that this tree was going to be completely destroyed. You know, and so we see that all that from this tree, all would be gone except the stump and the roots. You know, so he gave him a command to chop down the tree, get rid of all its branches, its fruit, its leaves, leave only a stump and, and, the, and the roots of this stump. And so we see that the stump was, was to be tied up with bands of iron and bronze. It tells us there in, in verse 15 that, that the stump was to be tied with bands of iron and bronze. Now, it was interesting because um, iron actually in the Bible is, is, is symbolic of, of, of something. Uh, all throughout the Bible, you know, we, hear, we see references of iron, you know, and, and iron in the Bible is actually symbolic of, of strong affliction. You know, it's symbolic of, of harshness, of heaviness, of sternness. Actually, there in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, as God is speaking through the prophet Moses and, and he's giving instruction to the children of Israel, he's telling them, you know, hey, uh, obey, obey the, the law of the Lord, do this, do that. You know, he's giving them instructions as they're, as they're entering the promised land, you know, and, and um. And right before Moses dies, you know, he's giving them instructions from the Lord. And then he tells them this. He says, if you depart from the Lord, then, you know, then you're on your own. You know, you're going to bring calamity upon yourself. And then Moses tells them this in Deuteronomy 28, 48. He says, therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And, and God will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, this was a, a warning given to the children of Israel, you know, and, and this warning to the children of Israel was, look, if you depart from the Lord, if you start serving all these other foreign gods, if, if you start doing the things that these other nations around you are, are, are doing, it says, then the, then the Lord your God will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, ne never in history, you know, does that actually happen. I mean, God never put a physical yoke of iron on their neck. So this was symbolic of harshness, you know, of, of the of, of the of the harshness of the troubles that they were to experience and they will leave the Lord. And so we see that that iron throughout the Bible is symbolic of this harshness. It's symbolic of this sternness. It's symbolic of this uh, um, a punishment. And then so the command the, the, the watcher gave command to tie the, the the stump with bands of iron and of bronze. Now bronze is also symbolic in the Bible of something you know and bronze in the Bible is symbolic of judgment. And all throughout the Bible, you know, you'll, you'll see these, these symbolisms, you know, and, and you see bronze referred to, you know, in, in the tent of judgment. There in the book of Numbers 21, 8 through 9, there's a story in the book of Numbers of the children of Israel. You know, as they were wandering through the desert, you know, God had, had delivered them from Pharaoh, from Egypt, from their 400 years of slavery, of bondage. You know, he did great miracles for them. He opened up the Red Sea. You know, he, he allowed them all to walk on dry land. He closed it up as the Egyptians were, were coming behind and he killed all the Egyptians. You know, and as, as they were there in, in, the, in the promised land, well, not even the promised land, but on the way to the promised land, they were walking through the wilderness for 40 years and God provided for their food. He provided for their clothes. You know, he provided for them water. But every once in a while, you know, they would, they would start uh, uh, bickering and, and, and complaining and murmuring against the Lord. And there was a one occasion in the book of Numbers where as they were, as they were murmuring, complaining to, to, to Moses about the Lord, they, they told Moses, well, Moses, were there, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here in the desert to die or what? You know, so they're pretty much saying, man, they're ungrateful. They're saying, man, you should have just left us in Egypt to die. You know, or we're going to die out here in the desert. And so we're told that as a result of that, uh, that the Lord caused serpents to come out from the wilderness and they began to bite the people. 
You know, and so these people began to, 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 to die off. And then the Lord gives instruction to Moses, you know, for these people who are getting bit. And he tells them this in Numbers 21.8. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And so God gave instructions to Moses to, you know, to make a serpent out of bronze and to set it on a pole and set it in the midst of the camp of, of, of all the Hebrews. And when everybody said, and whenever somebody would get bit, all they had to do was just look at this bronze serpent and, and the Lord would, uh, would heal them miraculously. You know, I don't know if you guys ever noticed, you know, but when, and in the medical field, whenever, whenever you see a, you know, that, that, that seal, there's a, there's a, there's a serpent on a, on a, on a pole. That's actually what it refers to, to this, you know, to this healing. And this actually comes from the Bible. You know, so interesting how, you know, how the secular world uh, takes, takes this symbolism from the Bible. So Moses was, was, was called to, to make this bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and whoever got bit would just look on it. Now, interesting because in the New Testament, Jesus actually refers to this in John chapter 3. And Jesus says this in John chapter 3 as he's talking to, to a man named Nicodemus who comes to, to him at night. He's asking about, well, how can I be born again? You know, he believes in him, but he's kind of still kind of hesitant. He's asking Jesus all these questions. He comes at night because he doesn't want to be seen by, by everyone else because he's a Pharisee. You know, he's a religious uh, ruler. He's afraid of what everyone else is going to say. And so he comes up to Jesus at night and he asks him, well, what am I saying? I do? And then Jesus actually makes a reference to, to this bronze serpent. And he tells him this in John 3, 14. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Talking about himself. He says, Even, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, so in Jesus, should not perish, but, but have eternal life. So interesting that, 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 that Jesus... Uh, that, that, that Jesus made this connection of, uh, with the bronze serpent in the Old Testament that, that the people would look to and be healed. And he says, hey, look, just like that serpent needed to be lifted up so that people could be healed, you know, as he looked at it, he says, so, so, he says, so must I be lifted up. And he, what he was talking about was the crucifixion, the cross. He says, so must the Son of Man, that was a reference to himself. He says, so must the, the Son of Man be lifted up. He says, uh, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, this is actually so interesting that, that, that this... Uh, Old Testament you know, uh, uh, serpent, you know, is that bronze serpent is just a foreshadowing of Jesus, and so we see that again. That, that the whole point is that, that that bronze, you know, is symbolic in the Bible in the Bible of judgment, you know. And so this thump was to be tied with a band of iron and bronze, meaning, you know, that that, that this was about to happen to, to to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was about to be judged harshly, you know, and and he was about to be judged, you know, intensely. But with an end intent, you know, it wasn't just to punish him. It wasn't just to, you know, get back at him. God wasn't trying to get back at him for what he did to the to the Jews. He wasn't trying to get back to him for to, to what he, for what he did to uh, to Judah, to to the temple in Jerusalem. But we see that that this had an end result, and and, and that end result, you know, is is there in verse seventeen. He says, uh, "In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever He will, and sets over it the lowest." Of man, and so we see that that, that God's purpose in in in, uh, in punishing King Nebuchadnezzar was that again, so that he, so that the living may know that God, that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomever He wills, and says to it even like the the lowest of men, even like the the, the, the the smallest of men, you know. And so this was the intent of, of this punishment. And verse nineteen says, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, that, that's his Aramaic, his Babylonic, his Babylonian name given to him. Says then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered, answered and said, My lord, 
May the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concerning your enemies. And so we see Daniel's response to the dream. You know, so here he is, Daniel is just sitting as, as King Nebuchadnezzar is just telling him his whole dream. You know, and Daniel is just listening. You know, and Daniel, you know, he, he, he understood what that dream meant. You know, he, he, understood, he understood what it meant. And we see that as a result of him hearing this dream, we're told that Daniel was just genuinely troubled by the dream. He was like, man, I can't believe this. You know, he was, he was troubled. He was troubled. You know, and we're told that, uh, that, that he was actually concerned, you know, by what it meant. He wasn't, you know, happy to give the interpretation to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was hesitant. It says that, 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 uh, that he was astonished for a time. And he was just like in awe. For, he was hesitant for a while. He didn't want to say anything. You know, and then he said, he said, I wish that this dream was about your enemies and those who hate you. He says, man, I wish this dream wasn't about you, King Nebuchadnezzar. I wish that this dream was about your enemies. You know, and that's awesome, you know, because that tells us a lot, a lot about Daniel. You know, the other guys may have been too scared to tell Nebuchadnezzar the truth. But because Daniel genuinely, genuinely cared for him, because, you know, Daniel, Daniel genuinely cared for his soul, he told him the truth. You know, these other guys, the wise men, the, the Chaldeans, the, the, the soothsayers, the magicians, all these other guys, they probably kind of had a hint of what this dream meant. But they were too scared to tell Nebuchadnezzar the truth. But Daniel, because he genuinely cared for King Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, by this time, you know, he probably got really close to him. You know, even though they don't have the same God, even though they don't have the same beliefs, he's serving under him, you know, and I believe that, that, that Daniel prayed for him a lot. You know, and, and we see that, that by this time, you know, Daniel is just genuinely concerned for King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he says, man, I wish this dream was, was about your enemies. And I wish this dream was about, about those who hate you. But it's not, it's about you. Now, I love this, you know, because again, Daniel had this, this genuine concern for King Nebuchadnezzar. I love what it says in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of an enemy is deceitful. Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You think that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, like a contradiction. The wounds of a friend, he says, yeah, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Right? And so that was Daniel. Right? He was a true friend. He, was, he wasn't afraid to tell the truth, you know, because he genuinely cared. You know, and, and it's true. I mean, when, whenever you hear a harsh truth. Right? You would rather hear from someone you love. Right? You would, you would rather hear from someone that you care about. You would rather hear from someone that you trust. And you would rather hear from someone who, who you know cares for you. you know, because when you know that somebody doesn't really like you, they couldn't really care less about you. And they, and they give you that, that same harsh truth. It hits different. Because you know, man, you know, you, you know the intention of that person's heart. And, and, and you know that, 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 that they're telling you this just to, to, just to tear you down. You know, and on that, same, uh, on that same coin, on the same token, you know, it says... But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Man, you would have an enemy, you know, he'll come in and tell you flattering words, he'll tell you everything you want to hear, all, all the nice and, 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 uh, and fluffy, you know, things, all, like, all, all, all those sweet things. But yeah, you know, because of it, he's an enemy, it's deceitful. It's deceitful words. And, and, and that's what that proverb says is, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And again, that was Daniel. You know, he was a true friend. He was a stand-up guy. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth because he genuinely cared. So it came from a loving heart. And verse 20 says, we're about to hear the interpretation of the dream. So verse 20 says, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of, the, of, the, of heaven had their home. It is you, O king. You're the tree. So he's telling him, you're the tree. Who have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. 
And verse 27 says, and, and, in, and inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, an angel, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its root in the earth, bound, uh, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times, uh, times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. And so he's about to tell him, you know, what's, what's going to come. So verse 25, it says, They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. So he's saying, man, this is about you. They're going to drive you. He says, they're going to drive you from men. They're going to, they're going to you know, shoo you away. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave their command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable unto you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity." We'll stop right there. So we see the, the interpretation of, of, of the dream, you know, as Daniel gives it. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar is, is this great tree that he saw in his dream. Nebuchadnezzar is the great tree. And he was about to be humbled for seven years. When it says uh, seven times, it means seven years. And so we see that he was about to be humbled for seven years until he recognizes that God is almighty and that God is all powerful. And that it's God who raises up kings and puts them down. Keep in mind, you know, Nebuchadnezzar right now is the most powerful man in the world. You know he is the, the 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 ruler of a world of a world ruling empire. He has he has conquered uh, nations. He has conquered other empires. You know he has conquered Egypt. You know which was uh, the second uh, uh, strongest empire at the time. You know, he, he conquered Judah. He conquered all these other people groups. You know he's 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 expanded his kingdom. You know he, he's made he's built a great city. You know and so this guy is prideful. You know, and he's thinking, you know, he's, he's thinking that he's above God. Remember the chapter before, uh, as he's addressing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's telling him, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. Bow down to me. You know, and, and if you don't, then who's the God who's going to save you from my hand? So we see where, where his pride level was at, right? He was thinking that he was above all gods. He was God. In his mind, he was God, right? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, you know what? There's going to be no need for that. We're not going to bow down and this and that. So they defy his orders. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he's, he's this great tree in the dream. And so we see that he's about to be humbled for seven years or seven times until he recognizes that, 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 that God is king, that God is almighty, and that God is all-powerful, and that it's God who raises up kings and, and puts them down as well. And so we see that, but, but notice Daniel's advice to the king. He tells him their, inter- their interpretation, but then notice his advice. And this is coming from Daniel. This is there in verse 27. He says, hey, break off your sins by being righteous. He says, maybe God will show you mercy. And so we see that, 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 that Daniel was well familiar with his God whom he served. And so Daniel is telling him, look, apart from the dream, Daniel says, look, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what the dream means. You're going to be home for, for seven years until you recognize, you know, that God is God and that God's above you. But look, if you repent, if you just, if you just break off your sins from you by just, just be righteous, you know, do good to the poor. He says, maybe God will have mercy on you. You know, interesting that, 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 God is, that, that Daniel is speaking out from his own terms, you know, and he's speaking from this familiarity with God. And and. and, and Daniel knows the, the, uh, this God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Daniel knows the God whom he serves. He knows that, that he's a merciful God, this God that we serve. You know, and Daniel knows that, that God is a merciful, long-suffering, patient, loving God. And that, and that if Nebuchadnezzar would just you know, turn from his sin, Daniel knows that, that God would forgive him. Man, imagine this pagan king you know, has done so much evil. Um, 
secular history tells us that, that when Nebuchadnezzar would go into, into a, a nation and defeat this nation, he would take captives. You know, he would, he would burn the homes, he would burn villages, he would burn whole, whole cities. You know, and he, would, and when he would take these captives and he would actually uh, put a ring on, the, on their noses and, 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 and tie each nose ring. And they would drag him like that off into Babylon. This guy was wicked. This guy was, man, harsh. This guy was evil. This guy was evil. He was like the epitome, epitome of evil. You know, and yet God is, God is offering salvation to this king. God is offering mercy to this king. And through Daniel, Daniel saying, look, if you just repent, man, God will forgive you. God will show mercy to you. You know, and so we see that, that, that Daniel knew God, you know, and Daniel knew God was merciful, long-suffering, and ready to forgive and restore if Nebuchadnezzar was just turned his, turn his heart from wickedness. You know, and so, I mean, keep in mind, you know, Daniel was a godly man. You know, he had, and he had the whole Old Testament writings. He had the, the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, he had the Psalms, the Proverbs, some of the other prophets. And so, so Daniel had the word of God. You know, and, and as he would read the word of God, you know, he would, come, he would become familiar with who God is. And that's why he was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar, look, man, I could, I could tell you for sure. If you repent, God will forgive you. Well, how would you know that? <laughs> because so Daniel knows God. How does Daniel know God? Because he has God's word. You know, and so he knew that God was, was, was able, he was willing, he was ready to extend mercy. And notice what it says there in verse 28. I mean, you would think that he would take his advice, right? And, but verse 28 says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, one year, at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? It says, while the whole word, And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whoever he chooses. In verse 33, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. And we'll stop right there, a lot to, to take in. So we see that, you know, that, 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 that Daniel told him, look, man, if you just repent, God will forgive you. God will extend mercy. And then we're told that one year after this dream, one, one year after, after Daniel's advice to him, we see that Nebuchadnezzar uh, heeded his advice for one year. But then suddenly, man, pride kicked in. Pride hit him. And we're told that he's walking around uh, Babylon. He's walking around his palace. You know, and, and, and he's walking around the, the, this huge city that he had built, just admiring his accomplishments. And you know, he's walking around, just looking at everything that he's done. He's like, man, I'm, I'm awesome. You know, I'm a great king. Man, I've accomplished a lot. I've done a lot. So pride just crept into his heart. And, and, and we're told that at that very moment, you know, it's, it, it's then that the command came forth and, and for the dream to be fulfilled. Now... Notice that, that it was his pride that triggered that triggered this. You know, it wasn't it wasn't because uh, it, it wasn't because you know, all right, the, the time is fulfilled now. You know, it, it's it's gonna come upon you know, but it's his pride that triggered all this. He was good for a whole year, right? I mean, God had given him this dream. It was supposed to happen right away, but because he he he, he humbled himself for a year, then, then then God delayed. But as soon as that pride kicked in, man, uh, this this uh this punishment that was, that was gonna come upon him came upon him. You know, so we're told that it was then, it was once pride kicked in, you know, that the command came forth to be, for the dream to be fulfilled. Now, I love what it says there in Proverbs. You know, it, it gives us a little insight into, into how God views pride. And it says this, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, meaning like a puffed up spirit, before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. 
and a puffed up spirit before a fall. Proverbs 6.16 says this. says, these six, things, these six things the Lord hates. You would think, what? What do you mean? You mean God hates? I thought God was an all-loving God and, you know, he forgives everybody and he just all love and all, you know, love and rainbows and sprinkles. Yeah, God is love. God is, God himself is love. You know, but if, if, in order for him to be loving, you know, in, in order for him to be good, then he has to hate evil. Because the two can't, the two can't, can't, can't abide. And so in order for God to be a loving God, a good God, a just God, there has to be a disdain for, for evil. There has to be a hate for evil. And this is what the Bible tells us in, in Proverbs 6, 16. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift, that are, that are quick to run into evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Says and one who sows uh, division among amongst brothers, amongst brethren. Man, six things the Lord hates and seven are abomination. Amongst one of those, he says, a proud look. And so we see kind of you know we, we get insight into into God's view of pride. You know, it says the Bible says that God hates it. God hates pride. You know, God hates pride. And so we see that that Nebuchadnezzar again, he took pride. He's walking around uh, twelve months later. He's walking around the palace. He's admiring what he's done. He's admiring his accomplishments. He says, Man, I'm just awesome. I'm just great. I'm the Greatest king that ever lived. Who else has built a, an empire like this? And at that moment, boom, man, the dream was fulfilled. We're told that at that very hour, God's word was fulfilled. And we said Nebuchadnezzar became a madman. He lost it. You know, he lost his mind. And, I mean, we're told that, you know, this, 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 this thing came over him. You know, he, he lost his mind. He became like, like, a, like, a, like a wild animal. He became like a wild animal. You know, and, I mean, you could just imagine a um, picture, you know, yeah, we're all... You know, familiar with LA, you drive down Skid Row, one of those crazy streets, and you see somebody just yelling at the wall, and you know they're all crazy, dirty, you know, hairs everywhere. They haven't uh, bathed in probably you know months, and they're right there just yelling at the wall, you know, throwing stuff at the wall, and talking to nobody. Just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar like that. It's like man, the most powerful man in the whole world at this time, at the known world. You know, this man who who, who had led armies to go conquer nations, who had who led armies to go conquer empires, is now all of a sudden like a madman there in the beast in, in the field. Like he's like a beast of the field. He's like a wild animal. He's a madman. You know, and so we're told that he became untamable and he was driven out to the fields where he spent seven years like this. You know, now it's interesting that uh, that pharmaceutical journals actually have a term for this. You know, this this is actually a, a thing. You know, um, pharma pharmaceutical journals actually have a term for this, and it's called uh, boanthropy. And boanthropy is a psychological disorder in which the the sufferer believes that he or she is a cow or an ox. It's true. Look it up. I promise. Look it up. Um, they they, have, they actually have records as early as the 1300s. You know, of of, of recorded people with 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 this uh, with this uh, psychological disorder. You know. Um, what was it called again? Boanthropy. Crazy. There's another one where, where, where people think that they're wolves. And it's called, I think, like zoanthropy or something like that. But, but this is actually, a, this is, uh, medical journals actually have a, a, a term for this. You know, so boanthropy. And so we saw that he got hit with boanthropy. I'm sure it wasn't known as that at the time, but he just got hit and he became confused. So that was a period of seven years that he was like that? Yeah. So for seven years he was like that in his dream. You remember in his dream when when the when the stump was like that, it says that, that he was in bake that for seven times. Now, it, because of the, the the translation, you know, from from uh, from from Hebrew to Greek to English, you know, that, that that term seven times actually means seven years. And so he was gonna be like that for seven years until in his heart he recognized that look, God's Almighty and God's all powerful. So how did who ruled during that period? And he wasn't like so at this time he did have a son. And, and, and by this time, he actually had a grandson as well. So it believed that, that his son actually took his place. 
you know, and then uh, so secular history actually tells us that, that his son ended up dying. I think he had he got pneumonia. He got some kind of illness and, and, and he died before. Uh, so he never his son actually never got to rule as king, but his 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 son did. So King Nebuchadnezzar, after he dies, his, his grandson is actually going to be the one. So in, in the next chapter, it's his grandson who's going to rule. But at this point, while he was down for seven years, uh, it was his son who was ruling. And, and, and along with the, with his son ruling, you know, he had uh, the whole a council of all the wise men, the Chaldeans, all these guys who served like as a, as, as a council for his son. And so his son took over in the meantime. And so as, as he took over, you know, and as King Nebuchadnezzar got hit with this, uh, with this, with this disorder... You know, we're told again that for seven years he was he was going to spend uh, he was he was going to spend his life as a madman. Now, verse thirty four says this says and at the, and at the end of that time, so from verse thirty three to verse thirty four, you know, there's a period of seven years. He says, and at the end of that time, well, that time is talking about that seven years. He says, at the end of that time, I Nebuchadnezzar says I lifted my eyes to heaven and and my understanding returned to me. So all of a sudden, it's like that fogginess just left him. He there he is for seven years out on the field, his nails. Gone all long and crazy and curvy like this. His hair was all crazy. He didn't shower. He didn't bathe. You know, he ate uh, like grass, like 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 a wild animal. And you know, he was just out there like a wild animal. With his, he, it was a ma- he was a madman. You know, he lost his mind. He was a crazy guy. Says, but at the end of that time, at the end of seventy years, he says that he lifted up his eyes to heaven and his understanding, his understanding returned to him. He says, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him. Who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he goes he, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth no one can restrain his hand or say to him what have you done at that same time says my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom my honor and my splendor and my splendor returned to me my counselors and nobles restored to me I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the, and honor the king of heaven, all of, of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. So at the end of all that, he realizes, man, look, those who walk in pride, uh, God is able to put down. God is the one who rules. God is the one who, who, who is king over, over all kingdoms. It's God. You know, and so as he's realizing these things, you know, we see that, that now he, he's a changed man. You know, he comes back from this a changed man, and really, that's the whole purpose of, of, of why God, God allowed him to go through all this. You know, and it says at the end of that time. Now, this judgment wasn't forever. You know, it had a beginning and had an end. And so, at the end of those seven years, we see that God restored the soundness of mind to the king, and as well as his kingdom. And so, we see that God wasn't trying to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't want to kill him. He could want to just punish him. He wasn't doing this just because, you know, hey, my woman came my revenge for my people. No, God wasn't trying to, to, to destroy Nebuchadnezzar, but he was trying to restore him. You know, more than the physical, you know, beyond the physical, the spiritual. You know, so God wasn't trying to destroy him, you know, but he was trying to get him to realize, you know, he was trying to get him to, to the place where Nebuchadnezzar, you know, would realize that God is the one who's in control. You know, and so we see that Nebuchadnezzar had the opportunity to learn this on his own. I mean, time after time, you know, he sees Daniel, he sees God work through Daniel, he sees the, 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 the message of Daniel, the testimony of Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar had, had the opportunity to learn this on his own, you know, a few times already. You know, but because his pride got in the way, he had to learn the hard way. <laughs> and so many times, you know, the Lord is trying to teach us something as well. I mean, I, I tell you guys, I'm, I'm just because I'm up here teaching doesn't mean, you know, it's because I got it all down, man. So many times, you know, I, I sense the Lord trying to teach me something personal in my life. Oh, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, whatever. You know, work in this area of your life. And I kind of just ah, brush it off, try to put it off till, till, you know, later, later. And eventually I have to suffer the consequences, man. It's happened to me in the past, right? 
And so, but, but so many of us are, are like that as well, you know, where it's like we hear it over and over and over and it's constantly brought up. It's like, man, every study I hear, they're talking about that. Every time I turn on the radio, they're talking about that. Every time I talk to somebody, they're talking about that. You feel like, I think God's trying to tell me something, right? But then we ignore it and we have to learn it the hard way. You know, now, if you sense God trying to teach you something tonight, I mean, I encourage you, hey, be, be sensitive, you know, be, be, be teachable, be moldable to that. There's a story, uh, there's a character in the book of the Bible named Job, you know, in this whole book of Job, you know, it's like the guy who suffered the most out of everybody in the Bible. You know, this guy just suffered massively, you know, and, and so Job writes his book, you know, there in the book of Job and chapter 23, you know, as he's kind of just taking his case before God and he just, you know, why did this happen? You know, or this, this, that, you know, he's, he's just pleading his case before God. And then he says this in Job 23, 10, he says, but God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot is held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so Job recognizes that as he's being tested, as he's being tried, you know, he's recognizing that, look, man, it's, God's just testing me. And he says, God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I'm going to come forth as gold. I mean, I'm going to come out as pure. You know? I'm, yeah, I'm going to go through all this testing. I'm going to go through all these trials. I'm going to go through all this thing. But you know what? It's going to make me stronger. I'm going to come out as, as, as pure gold. You know, gold is the most valuable metal. You guys know that? The most valuable metal, you know, it's, and, and it's uh, the, the strongest metal, one of the strongest metals. So he says, man, after my testing, I'm going to come out as gold. And really, you know, whenever we go through something in our lives, you know, that should be our, our perspective as well. You know, we should ask ourselves, too, man, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Right? What is it that, that you're trying to work in my life? What is it? What area in my life needs help? What, what area in my, in my life needs tweaking? What area in my, in my life needs, needs help? You know, what is it that, that you're trying to, to sharpen, to restore, to build up in my life? You know, and God does that through trials, right? I mean, it's just like imagine a soldier. You know, imagine a soldier never went to boot camp, never had any formal training, never was taught how to shoot. All of a sudden, you just enlist, and the next day, man, you're on the battlefield. You're gonna get killed, right? Because you haven't been tested, you haven't been tried, you haven't been taught. And and for us as well, you know, that's what the trials do in our lives. As we go through trials, as we go through testing, it's like the Lord is building us up. The, and, and, and the Lord is building us up, you know, he's strengthening our faith, he's strengthening, you know, our testimonies, he's strengthening us, he's strengthening us in him, right? And so that's what happened with Job, this is what's happening with Nebuchadnezzar, after all that, Nebuchadnezzar realizes, man, you know what, God, you rule. And so actually, Nebuchadnezzar actually was, is saved, and I definitely believe that when we die, when we go to heaven, I, I believe with all my heart that we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar there. He's not going to be a king no more, he's going to be like this, anybody else, you know, but, he, but Nebuchadnezzar's going to be there. And, and that amazes me, why? Because here we go, the most wicked man did all this evil, you know, did all these things, was proud, was, uh, was, was puffed up, you know, trying to have these three guys killed, you know, did all these other wicked stuff. But yet, you know, at the end of his life, he, he, he gave his life to the Lord and said, you know what, God, you're, you're in control, you know, I'm nothing, you're everything. You know, you're the one who, who, who rules and, and how he said right there, uh, he says, your dominion is an everlasting dominion, your kingdom is from generation to, to generation. He says, man, it's all about you. Right? And because he turned his heart, his heart to the Lord, man, I believe he's saved. You know, and, and I definitely believe that, that, that God used Daniel in, in the midst of this wicked nation you know, to get to the heart of this king. Now, I ask myself, man, where has God placed me? You know, maybe I'm not like in the midst of a wicked nation and I'm like, well, we are. But, but maybe I'm not like right next to the president or maybe I'm not, I can't talk to the governors or to the mayors or to anybody really important. You know, but I ask myself, well, what's my sphere of influence? Right? I was sharing with Mike earlier that I got laid off work. You know, and, and I was just thinking about it, and, and a couple of days ago, I was kind of bummed out. I'm like, man, I was, I was a good company. You know, I, I would have liked to stay there longer. But then as I was just kind of reflecting about, you know, on, on those, what, like seven months that I was there, 
I was like, well, you know, I, I, felt, I felt good because I feel like I left a good, a good testimony, right? I feel like, you know, the people who I came in contact with at work, I feel like I, I, I left them with something. I feel like I poured into them. I feel like, you know, it wasn't in vain. I think, all right, Lord, you know, maybe I can't be like Daniel, you know, and be next to the president or be next to, you know, wherever. But I was next to my coworkers, next to my foreman, next to the, all these guys, you know, and, 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 and if I was able to leave, you know, some kind of light in their life, then cool, you know, I'm good with that. And I was able to just kind of make peace and say, all right, Lord, on to the next one. You know, where, where do you want me next? Went on Indeed and boom, boom, started, you know, applying all crazy. I'm like, all right, Lord, where do you want to take me to next? All right, and, and, and so I love that, you know, because if we weren't going through the book of Daniel, maybe I wouldn't have that perspective. But because we're going to Daniel, we're seeing how, how, how God used Daniel there in the, in the nation of Babylon to get to the heart of this wicked king so that this wicked king could be saved. Now maybe to have a perspective. You know, I encourage you guys to have that same perspective as well. You know, maybe again, you don't know what influence you're going to have on someone else. You know, you don't know what, what, how someone else is going to be encouraged by, by your testimony. And you think, ah, oh, man, well, I don't really do much. You know, I just go to the grocery store or I go to McDonald's or whatever. But, hey, man, there's people all over the place who are just watching us. Right? And my, my hope and my desire and my prayer is that, is that, you know, I would leave them, you know, with uh, some, some form of light so they could just know, look, man, here's Angel. Here's, you know, this person, that person. They love, they love the Lord. They serve God. And, you know, uh, um, and they had a good, a good witness. And they had a good testimony. I want to be like them. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I think. But with that, we'll just go ahead and close. I wanted to get into the next chapter, but just a lot, um, a lot to get into. So I'll, I'll, save, I'll save it for next week so we won't be rushed. But an interesting chapter coming up next as well, you know, uh, uh, the book of Daniel chapter 5, like I mentioned earlier. So we're going to see uh, another king. You know, there's another span of time in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And chapter 5 is going to be actually King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, grandson who's going to be ruling. And, and chapter 5 is when the nation of Babylon just falls. You know, it gets it gets uh, it gets overtaken by by the Medes and the Persians. You know, it's which is the next the next uh, world governing empire. You know, and so awesome chapters, so much uh, wisdom, just full of history. Just it's it's rich, it's rich. So we don't want to we don't want to uh, rush through that. So we'll just leave it for next week. Amen.